ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Legends of Packard. Another edition of the awards submitted Legends of Packard podcast. He's Jake Borup. I'm Randy Policar. And Jake, we have a guest today who was uh, part of that legendary 1984 team. And uh, we're really looking forward to, to hearing his thoughts on ASU baseball in the mid 80s. Yeah, the 84 uh, Sun Devil team is quickly becoming one of my favorite teams. It's almost like when these guys tell the stories, you know, we, you and I, Randy, we feel like we're right there. And half the time we're laughing too hard off camera. But, um, Looking forward to play, uh, uh, to hearing from Louis Medina, uh, an amazing uh, Sun Devil infielder. He was there two years, 84, 85, obviously played with the 84 College World Series team, was a Pac-10 champion, uh, came from California. So looking forward to chatting with Mr. Louis Medina. Thank you, guys. I'm humbled to be on here. Um, I've, been, I've been listening to the prior podcasts and talk about some memories and you know, proud to be an ASU Sun Devil and listen to those podcasts even more so. Listen to the guys that played before me and and uh, it kind of set the tone for the program. Listen to Sal Bando going back that far, and then and then a guy like Raul Torres, who you know I didn't see a play a whole lot. I got scouted some, but just to see what kind of a study was at ASU as far as a leader and a captain there. I mean, it's it's been awesome every single one of them. Well, it's funny you bring up Raul because I was going to say when we've talked to guys who you played with from the eighties, they always brought your name up, you know, your, your name constantly came up and, and you were kind of like, it seems like with the glue guy from those teams in 84, 85, kind of like Raul was when Jake was playing. It just seems like you guys are real similar. And uh, that's why we were so excited that you, you're going to come on with us because to a man, everybody we talked to is, Oh, well, Louie, we had a great time with Louie and Louie this. So we're like, well, we got to have Louie on. Cause you, you were the glue guy for that eighties teams. It seems like. Yeah, I don't know about the glue guy, but, uh, you know, um, that was an, a really fun time. And, and again, listening to those podcasts, it's a common theme. You know, I played 11 years professionally, parts of three years in the big leagues. I played in Japan for three years, but easily the best time I ever had it was at ASU. It really was. You know, I was there two years. 84 was, ex- was an amazingly special team. I know everybody's team, they think their team's the, the, the most special and the most talented, but this team was just, for back in the day, was an amazingly talented, athletic, big team. We just were just a, a very physical team. And, you know, I look at, uh, well, I'll bore you with all the names here. I mean, we had a guy like Doug Henry. And Doug was a pitcher for us. He was so good his freshman year. I think he threw a one-hitter at Maine in the College World Series and went five for five or something like that in the game. And then couldn't get an AB with us in 84. I mean, he just, you know, it was, it was sitting the bench. You know, we got a guy like Chris Beasley on that team and to pitch in the big leagues. I think Chris Beasley led the Pac-10 in scoring in basketball that year at 18 points a game or was close to it. <laughs> um, you guys know the story about Odom McDowell. He was, a, he was a state champion wrestler in Florida, which is not easy to do. That was his junior year. I listened to that podcast and Odeby is very humble. He doesn't talk about himself much, but you know, that was his junior his senior. He got hit by a car, busted his spleen, or he would have won. He would have won state that year too, probably, and might've left for wrestling instead of baseball. So that might've been a good thing for ASU. But I remember you guys telling that story, hearing that story about him wrestling on that team. And he said he was wrestling Dave uh, Graybill. I wasn't there, but the story's legendary. I missed it by a year. 
It was an ASU wrestler that he took down that was like fourth in the country. And ODB didn't want to say it on, on the podcast. He's very humble. But it was not just anybody. He was he was throwing around people like rag dolls, and one of them was a an, an ASU wrestler. So, but it was an, it was a talented team. I mean, you spoke to Todd Brown. Todd Brown was like 6'4", 240, could run a six seven sixty. I mean, he's like he would have been a fullback in the NFL if he wanted to. And Charles Scott turned down scholarships to play football in the Pac-10, and later on played college uh, basketball after he graduated, and played his. Uh, professional career in baseball it was crazy George Lopez I think still holds all the weightlifting records of Maryville High School I mean I can go on and on that team was amazingly talented uh and as, as talented as that team was it was a crazy team right different team that, was- that was kind of the cool thing talking with Todd and really a lot of these early 80s players was just to put it in perspective I I, I played 10 years ago and, you know, I couldn't list off the whole team unless I really sat and thought about it. But every one of these 80s guys, they come in and they're like, I know this guy and this guy and what this guy's doing and this guy's stats and that's this guy's high school and what this guy was doing now. And he's selling cars and he's working insurance. And it's it's really cool just to see, I mean, not only how good you guys were, because that, I mean, those, those early 80s teams were stupid good. I mean, the numbers, we could go over your numbers and it, they just like they fit in right with everybody from those 80s teams. But what I think is a lot cooler is the fact that, you know, you guys all brag about each other. I mean, Todd was on the show talking about that outfield and, and talking about, you know, Mike Devereaux and talking about Louis Medina and all these guys. And it's like, man, these guys played almost 40 years ago, but it's as if they played last weekend. So it's pretty cool to hear kind of the stories that you guys have from the early 80s teams. Yeah, I mean, I just think of that outfield. I mean, you got Barry, and we all know Barry. I mean, you can say what you want about Barry. Barry would have been a Hall of Famer had he not been accused or whatever happened with the steroids, whatever. Either way, he would have been a Hall of Famer either way. He was that good. Right. Then you had O.B. McDowell, who was the best college player easily that year. was amazing. Todd Brown, I mean, Todd Brown just mashed he just mashed. He was a good player. Mike Devereaux was our fourth outfielder that year. And when I talk about good athletes, again, this guy was running six two sixties on grass yeah. and spikes. He, I believe he was a hundred meter champ in Wyoming. Uh, another amazing athlete on that team. I mean, it was, that was a really cool team. And like I said, very talented. And um, it was an odd team. We had, man, four, five guys on the team that were already married. Some had kids already. It was it was a mixture of, you know, guys who were a little bit more mature than other guys. And then we had some just some psycho guys on that team. It was it was an amazing team. Well, let's start with your story. You're from Downey, California, and you ended up going to Cerritos College in Norwalk, California. So how did you end up coming to Tempe and playing for the Sun Devils? So it was an interesting, that's, well, to me, it's an interesting story, Mom, but that might not be to everybody else. So I went to Cerritos, um, had a pretty good freshman year, um, and then was recruited at Cerritos College. If you were any good at Cerritos, you were supposed to go to Cal State Fullerton. It was a pipeline. Um, Dave Snow was uh, a head coach there. You guys remember after Augie, he was a Cerritos College guy. And then George Horton took over. He was my coach at Cerritos, assistant coach. Hmm. And then Dave Serrano took over. He was my teammate at Cerritos. And then the current coach now is Rick Vanderhoek, who was my teammate at Cerritos. So 
if you went to Cerritos College, you just went to Cal State Fullerton for the most part. So um, I got offered a full scholarship to play at Cal State Fullerton, and I fell in love my sophomore year with my current wife and just had an okay year by my standards or whatever. And Cal State Fullerton ended up pulling that scholarship. So they told me they were going to look for a left-handed hitting first baseman. I was the wrong way guy, threw left and batted right. So um, I wasn't even going to take recruiting trips. I was just going to go to Cal State Fullerton. And then after that happened, I started taking recruiting trips. And I took it. My first one was the U of A. And then I went to ASU. And, I mean, it was, you know, that's where I was going to go to school. Um, I'll never forget I was playing at, at Cerritos. We were playing at Compton College. And I just thought this was kind of a neat story. There's probably maybe seven people in the stands at Compton College. One was Jim Brock. He was sitting behind the third base dugout. And the other one was Jerry Kendall sitting behind the first base dugout. And uh, it was it was kind of nerve-wracking. But I had a big game, which was good. And then uh, so ASU ended up recruiting me uh, pretty heavy. And uh, that's how I ended up going there. Who, who was the coach that recruited you the most? Was it Hines? Which assistant was it that, that would really put the full court press on you? Right. So that was actually – so uh, it was kind of an odd deal. Like I said, you were just supposed to go to Cal State Fullerton. Cerritos, they were very secretive about it. I knew I was getting recruited. They wouldn't, they were very tight. They wouldn't let coaches call you or, or they just kind of tell you, hey, these schools are after you. Hines was there at the time, but it was a transition. He was getting ready to leave. And that's when Jeff Pentland came in. So I never really talked to Ben a whole lot. Um, so Coach Brock is the one who recruited me. And so I, I went to the um, on the recruiting trip with Chip Dill, who was my teammate at Cerritos. And he ended up going to U of A. And Brock met us at the airport. I remember I remember Coach Brock uh, – I'm sorry, Bob Grandstaff was my teammate then. The college, Another talented player was the California College Player of the Year. We got off the plane. Coach Brock put his arm around uh, Bob and just took off walking. I was just kind of left behind with Steve Moses, who was my – junior college teammate who was also playing at ASU that year. But uh, so kind of Brock kind of recruited me. And then after that recruiting trip, it was, it was unbelievable. There was, we were there playing Stanford. It was a, it was a completely packed house. I'd never seen anything like that. The U of A trip probably had, they probably had a thousand people in the stands and it was just not very good. Yeah. Not much different than it is now. No, no, it, it was not. And then, uh, so I just, I just kind of knew that's where I wanted to be. The coaches of Cerritos weren't happy with it because they wanted me to go to U of A all of a sudden. And because uh, I guess they had kind of a deal with Kendall there. But um, so I just kind of thought I was going to go there. I hadn't signed yet or anything. I didn't know, really know the process. I was laying in bed at home and uh, Coach Brock called me like at seven in the morning. I was dead asleep. And he calls me and he says, Lou, we have – one scholarship left. We're at LAX airport on our way to Hawaii. If you want to play for the Sun Devils, you got to sign it now. Hopped in the car, drove as fast as I could to LAX and signed my letter of intent right there at the airport. Now, knowing Coach Brock, I don't believe that was true. I think he probably had three or four scholarships, but he was a, he was a mastermind. He was a, you know, a master of psychology. He was an, an amazing motivator um, he knew how to push the right buttons and man, he got me. I knew I wanted to go there anyway, but he got me. I, I was, like I said, I, I probably broke, broke, um, every speed limit on the way to the airport, but I knew I was going to go there. Was it kind of 
culture shock when you show up here at, at, at ASU and you've got Barry Bonds, you've got Odomir, you've got these guys who are, I mean, college superstars and, you know, surefire major leaguers where your eyes kind of open, like, what am I doing here? I mean, we, we heard when, when Bob Horner was on the show, he said when he first showed up on campus, he's like, I can't play with these guys. Did you go through something similar or did those two years at Cerritos kind of prepare you and like, hey, I can hang with anybody at this point? So it was a little bit of both. So after Cerritos, I went to play in Alaska, in the Alaska League. And Oda B. McDowell was my teammate on that team, uh, Don Wakamatsu. And we had been playing against Randy Johnson in that league and everything. So I kind of, you know, started – I actually started on the bench that year, um, that Alaska League. And then uh, one of our players signed to go pro, play pro ball. And then I just went nuts that summer. And I was like, you know, I think I can hang um, – Again, Cerritos did. We played. We played Cal State Fullerton and all the big schools in the winter. At Cerritos and we would really beat up on most of these schools. So I kind of had a feeling I could hang, but I didn't really. You know, when I got to Cerritos, I mean Arizona State, I didn't know a whole lot about Barry Bonds because he had wasn't playing in our summer league. And Todd was out there, um, but didn't know about Doug Henry and and Charles Scott to see these amazing physical athletes and what they could do. I was like, geez, Louise. I didn't know when I signed my letter intent that we were going to be that, that good. And then once we started playing in the fall, it was like, man, what a collection of guys. It was crazy. And then uh, I think that, you know, going fast forward a little bit, I think the time I really kind of felt like I really fit in the group was when we were playing, we played a pretty good schedule at ASU and uh, in preseason we had been playing maybe Pomona Pitzer or Pomona Cal Poly Pomona Cup schools but then we then we came up on Oklahoma State and we were ranked number one I believe they're ranked number two and we hated each other there was no no media then thank God at that time because it was there was a lot of bad blood there and it all went through slow mail of baseball Americas and stuff and so we had played them and and they had some monster arms on that team John Farrell uh, Hanneman guy named Scott Livingston who should have pitched 20 years in the big leagues. And then they had this guy named Canwisher who threw like a hundred, they thought back in the day. Well, my first at bat against Canwisher, he throws me a, a, just a heater and I hit it in their dugout. I'm late as could be. And boy, did I get it from their dugout. And I was like, geez, you know, maybe this is a bit much. Well, next pitch, I ended up hitting it out on, hitting it out on the, on Salt River. And at that moment I thought I belong. You know, I think I think I can do it here, but because it, it was the big boys, you know, Okie State. I think they had eight big leaguers on that team. Quick story about Oklahoma State: we played them four times that year. They were unbelievably talented. We swept them four, including that big College World Series win. But we had bad blood there, and Kendall Carter and Incavilia for some reason did not like each other. And Kendall flat out came out and said, "I'm going to hit him the very first game we see him." And that was like in collegiate baseball or baseball American. We're like, whatever. Everybody forgets about it because it's slow. Sure enough, we play them. He bops them the first pitch. He bops them. And Pete takes out a step out. And we had a big team. He wasn't about to charge. And the guy, you know, got chippy and stuff. But it was uh, – that's kind of the team we had. Kendall, you know, Kendall wouldn't take any crap. He didn't care. He wasn't throwing a 93 that he did as a freshman year. By the time he got to his senior year, his arm was pretty much worn. It was probably 83. <laughs> probably didn't hurt him, but he wasn't going to back down. Obviously, we hear about the spring and kind of those things, but, you know, backing up in the fall, take us through your fall and kind of how you found yourself in the starting lineup come in the spring. Well, so 
Yeah, it was it was a little, you know, so I'd sign there and there were no guarantees and there shouldn't be, you know, Brock brought you in and you had to earn your spot. They had a, a, a kid named uh, Tim McNaughton who was on scholarship there, who was the JC player of the year before. And I had to beat him out. And then uh, young another a kid by the name of uh, Dave Tinoco, who was from Orange Coast College, we played against each other in junior college. He was a fantastic kid and a fantastic teammate that you and um, I just had a really good fall. I carried over from the – I led the Alaska League in home runs that summer out of Cerritos, and then uh, it carried over into the fall. I had a really good fall and kind of won that first-base job. It was nerve-wracking at first, but it just it just happened. <laughs> Somebody should do a 30-for-30 30 30 on that Alaskan League with all those names you were just dropping there and played in that league. Uh, yeah, see, our outfield in Alaska, too. We had Shane Mack, it was Odeby, Mark Davis, uh, Joe McGrain was on our team. I mean, it was – it was pretty good. Uh, college baseball, it was was pretty amazing back in the day. Uh, not that it's not as good now, but the money from professional baseball enticing the kids out of high school has taken a lot of the better, more impact players. You know, Barry, Barry Bonds, Randy Johnson, Mark McGuire would have never seen college baseball back in the day probably because even if they had gone in the third round, they probably would have got a couple million dollars. So, right. um it was, it was pretty amazing. So I played up in the Alaska League too. And that's, you know, I played in there 2009. And it, I mean, everyone in Alaska would always tell you about who played there. And it seemed like, you know, in the 80s, that was kind of the, the place to be. Obviously, kind of the Cape kind of took over probably late 90s. But yeah, the Alaska League, that was the who's who of, of college baseball players back in the day. It was. What team did you play for? I was with Fairbanks. We were the okay. team up there, and it was, you know, you don't know what you're getting into. You know, you're yeah. going to Alaska. I came out of, again, out of Cerritos, and they said, hey, you want to play in Alaska? I'm like, sure. I didn't even know they played baseball up there. <laughs> we go up yeah. there, and people are mowing their lawn at midnight, and it's bright outside. And it, But the baseball was tremendous. It was – it was Smart, smart fans up there. Did you guys ever play in the Midnight Classic game up there? We did. My teammate named Todd Simmons, uh, he was my roommate up in Alaska. I think he might have – I don't know if that record's probably been broken. I think he punched out 14 that game because it was tough to see. But, it was, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was uh, It was amazing. Amazing baseball. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into Omaha and the World Series in 84 in a minute, but I, I do want to talk about the 85 season. How hard was it for you – as a student athlete player on that team, knowing, Hey, we're, we're on NCAA, we're in NCAA jail here. We can't go back to Omaha this year. Was it hard to get motivated? Was there, you know, what was coach Brock like? Cause I mean, it's well-documented what happened with that, that team and all the, the punishments and everything, but that team was still loaded with talent. So how hard was it to, you know, get out to the yard every day and compete knowing, hey, there's probably there's no shot that we're going to be able to go to the World Series. So it's interesting that you asked me about the 85. 84 was unbelievable. I mean, we were like we were like superstars, really, back then. We played on ESPN that year. I don't know how many times. It was it was pretty awesome. 85 was a 180. Um, right out the gate, um, we got put on probation uh, for work study, I believe it was. Um I had torn my forearm muscle and was told I was never going to play again. Um, half of our team was injured. Uh, it was, they were out with injuries. It was crazy. Um, there was the whole, I don't know if you guys probably remember the Nardell 
controversy back then. Um, I'll never walk, I'll never forget going flying into LA. I can't remember if we're playing USC, UCLA, and the door opens to the airplane. We walk out, and there is like Channel Seven News wanting to interview all our team because it was it was really kind of different back then. Um, so it, it was a it was a very strange year. I'll never forget walking into the uh, onto the field, and our third baseman was somebody I'd never had seen in my life. We had pulled a kid up from the JV team, and we hadn't played the JV as much that year. And he had to play third for us. We didn't have enough players because of the injuries and the guys that were on probation that year. Um, I didn't sign. Uh, so I went to Alaska after my junior season and and uh, was going to sign. Things just didn't work out. I ended up coming back for my senior year because I was getting re-recruited by Jeff Pentland. And we were loaded. I, I thought we were going to – I thought I really thought we were going to crush every NCAA home run record that year because we had uh, myself and Todd Brown come back and, and Barry and and um, Rick Morse was re- – he, he led the nation in home runs at junior college that year and was coming in. I know I know we lost Odeby, but we were just loaded. And we were a year stronger, bigger, and better. And it was going to be – you know, I think we were going to do some damage that year, and then it uh, it just all blew up. But as bad as that year was, it was a nightmare year. It really was in ASU history. Um, that still was the best place I've ever been. I still love ASU baseball more than ever and still involved and uh, just love it. Well, I ask about 85 because Jake and myself can both attest to being – around the program during with the NCA black cloud, just kind of floating over your head. So we, you know, we both know Jake as a player, me as a, as the SID and staff member know what it's like going through that. So I was just interested in your perspective. Yeah, it was, man, it is, it was what it was. It is what it is. It was a nightmare year for everybody. Not only, not only that we're put on probation, it just every injury that could happen to all of us that year, it did everything that could go wrong went wrong that year and it was it just happens you know I mean AC's had a lot of unbelievable years you're bound to have one year that was just kind of kind of crazy and that was the year and I just happened to be there but um it it was a learning process for all of us you know you still you still go on and you, you play your best and you and you move on but uh yeah that was a that was a rough year so Louis, you 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 there for two years and you know, you just mentioned that it was, you know, an amazing place and you loved it. Although one of those years, it was kind of the black cloud, kind of a rough year learning process, like you said. So I think everyone who comes to the program can maybe not necessarily pinpoint a reason or something that they particularly love about ASU baseball that makes it this amazing place to play, right? Some people might say it's Packard. Some people might say it's the weather, the team. Um, you know, going to Omaha, whatever it is, but, you know, every one of us has gone through the program. We have that kind of uh, that love for the program, even though sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So, you know, 84, 85, you play with some amazing players. You obviously go to the college world series. You do really well. And the following year is kind of funky. 
But really, what was it about your experience at ASU that you loved so much? Was it was it playing at Packard? Was it traveling to different places? Was it being around the team? What was it particularly that made you love ASU baseball so much? Jake, I think you hit on all of it. I mean, we were the we were, the, and I've heard this said before. We were that was the closest thing of were to the big leagues there. I mean, right. we, Packard was beautiful. We had an amazing fan base. I mean, I don't know if that's spoken up about. We had an unbelievable fan base. At ASU, um, we were on TV a lot that year, you know, playing at ESPN. The conference was loaded. The competition was amazing. I mean, you're facing Randy Johnson one game and then Joe McGrain and Jack McDowell. And, I mean, it was just it was just packed. Shane Mack was at UCLA. It was – the competition was amazing. Um, and I loved my teammates. I loved them to this day. I love my teammates. I still talk to Kendall Carter's a scout. We talk a lot. And Odeby was one of my best friends, still is to this day. We we keep in touch. I love him like a brother. Um, Rami Kuchin, I, uh, I think that's a name that doesn't get talked enough about. He had a tremendous year as senior year. He really hit a bunch of bombs. And you guys might know Rami now is the fungo man. He invented a machine. That's that hits that throws baseballs as fungos automatically. It's it's huh. actually sold world worldwide. It's pretty popular. He is the inventor of Fungo Man. And if you Google Fungo Man, that's Rodney, that's Rami Kuchin, our shortstop. Uh, one of the nicest guys, by the way, that you'll ever meet. But you know, again, uh, just another guy that we keep in touch and love him and Todd Brown. Todd Brown, they don't come any nicer than that. A gentle giant. I mean, kill you on the field, but he'd do anything for you. Um, it was an amazing team. It was just, you know, they were all brothers, and it was, it was it was an awesome place to play. It just was an awesome – 84 was an amazing place to play. The only thing that could have got better was, was the championship, which eluded us. Let's talk about Coach Brock now, and I want to know what – everybody has different Coach Brock stories, and everybody had different interactions with him and what they meant to him. So for you – what was your personal story with Coach Brock and, you know, how did he shape your, you know, coming in from junior college? So, you know, you were a little bit more mature than some of the guys who would come in straight from high school. So just tell us a little bit about your experiences and your journey with Coach Brock and, and his wife, Patsy, and what they meant and what he meant for your career and for your life in general. Yeah, well, well Coach Brock was, like I said, he was a um, – he was a master psychologist or whatever, however you want to put it. He could really motivate people. To, and he was, he was, he didn't have to say much. It might've been just one word here or, or um, just a gesture or something, but he would, he could get you ready to play and he would fire you up and make you run through a brick wall for him and for your teammates. Um, but he was, you know, he was the face of the program, him and Patsy. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, he just, you can't separate the two. Patsy was there and she was just as Mars as, as part of the program, uh, maybe helping out with academics with some players and um, just being there for support. And, but uh, Jim really, I mean, Bobby Winkles obviously got it started and, and it was a legend and did what he did, but Jim did not miss a, miss a beat. You know, it, it could have tailed off and it didn't. And he brought in some championships and some amazing players and kept that legacy going. And um, the, unfortunately, the last championship is was Jim Brock's. We haven't had one since. And um, I, in, in my heart, I know that's going to change soon. 
Uh, it's just been too long. It's just been a lot of bad luck. And uh, there's been definitely some teams that should have won it since. But um, Jim is just a, just a legend. You know, when you talk about legends of baseball, when you talk about Augie Garrido and you talk about uh, Frazier from Miami and and the Polk at Mississippi State, I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of college coaches. You know, it was, it was, it was um, intimidating playing for him. He can he can scare the daylights out of you, but it was fun playing for it for him because he was a little bit unpredictable and could get you going. And I'll tell you a quick story. We were in the College World Series, and it was the very first day, and we're going to play Miami, and we're in the dugout, and there's a couple of players from Miami on the field rolling balls down the third baseline to see which way the ball is going to roll if it's bunt, going to go fair or foul. And Coach Brock is just wearing these guys out, saying you guys aren't going to need the bunt. <laughs> He's crushing these guys. And I'm, I'm sitting right next to Coach Brock while he's doing this. I'm like, what is he doing? But, you know, you trusted him because he was – he just knew how to push the right buttons. Man, before you know it, we were down 4 nothing in the first inning. <laughs> they had a grand slam, and I thought, oh, man, did he fire these guys up. We ended up winning, I think, 10-4 to 4 that game. We came back, and you probably knew that we would do it. But he would uh, – <laughs> it was interesting how he could do that. But he was – he was very smart. He was a very smart man. I don't know what it is about these these coaches that it seems like Omaha brings the best out of them because, you know, the more we talk about Coach Brock, you know, some coaches, they, they don't handle the limelight very well. But, you know, Murph and Coach Brock, it seems like that's when they thrived. That's when they flourished was, you know, in – the primetime game or the big game or whatever you want to call it. So I want to ask you, Louie, you know, Todd came on, Todd Brown, one of your teammates and good buddies came on a couple weeks ago and he had some good stories about, you know, traveling and, and away games. Was there any particular, you know, road trip or, um, you know, a story from being on the road with one of your teammates that you, that you really think back and love about your time there? Man. Well, again, yeah, yeah, obviously the, my trips to LA were special because I was from Los Angeles and right. uh, when we went to USC, UCLA, my family and friends would go there and and my especially my high school buddies were rowdy. So it was they would, you know, they would start some trouble up in the stands. I, but I, I, I loved going to those two places. I, I hit a home run off Randy Johnson at USC in front of all my friends, which was pretty oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, especially now since, you know, back then they were just like, oh, it's just a big, tall, skinny guy hit it off. Now they realize it was Randy Johnson. And then uh, – so I had some pretty good games there. Um, that USC team was loaded. Uh, it was amazing. But that was probably my my favorite trips there. I loved going to U of A and beating them up. I, I really did. I, I, I played really well against U of A um, here and down there. and I, I loved going to U of A because it was – they would draw for those games and the fans were brutal, just like ours were. Uh, they would get on you. Um, I'll never forget getting on a bus. We had just, just, just wiped the field with them. I would get on the bus. There's, there's fans everywhere yelling at us and I mean, stuff you can't repeat. And I'm sitting in my seat and I hear this banging on the window and I turn around. There is a freshly cut goat's head on a stick with horns smashing the wind try smashing up against my window blood everywhere i'm like this place is a whack <laughs> but it was uh that you yeah, that's when i was like man this is this is a this is a rivalry this is there it is some bad blood here no pun intended but it was crazy usc and asu obviously have this 
long history on the baseball diamond, ASU, Cal State, Fullerton, and then you throw in the Arizona-Arizona State rivalry. So for you guys, that 84 team and you personally, who did you guys consider your biggest rival? Was it USC? Was it Cal State Fullerton? Was it Arizona? Because it's Arizona and it has to be. No, I, I think that year was USC because we were so strong when they were loaded too. I mean, that USC team, you talk about physically gifted team too. I mean, you had obviously Mark McGuire there. You had Randy Johnson. Um, Jack Del Rio was their catcher. Um, their left fielder was a guy named Chris Brown, who led the Pac-12 and uh, or Pac-10 back then in tackles, I believe. He was a monster linebacker. Um, I think it was 80. I'm not sure if Rodney Pete was there that year or the next year, but that Rodney Pete played there too. I was going to say that that Rodney Pete was there. Yeah, just just a loaded team, and 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 they were very good. Sid Aiken was on their staff. He pitched uh, for the Olympic team. Um, it, w- it was just a very physical big team, and and we knew that that was going to be our competition. U of A was okay that year. They had a couple of players, but USC was loaded. And uh, we had some good battles with him. Let's talk now about Rosenblatt Stadium, Omaha, College World Series. You get there in 84. Tell us about the regional. The regionals were different then than they are now, and they were bigger team regionals. Uh, It wasn't like four teams and you go to Super Regional. It was one big regional. Winner comes out, goes to Omaha. So take us through that regional weekend, what it felt like clinching that spot in the World Series, and then the actual trip to Omaha and and getting there and walking to Rosenblatt and saying, hey, we're here. We This was the goal at the beginning of the year, and we've, we're one step closer to it. Yeah, so we had our regional. It was, you know, usually like it is at that time of year, really hot. Um, I think it was Washington. We had Washington State and Hawaii in that regional. And it doesn't sound very formidable, but Hawaii was absolutely loaded that year. We actually went to Hawaii that year and got our butts handed to us two out of three. Um and rightfully so. We had we had some, you know, we were out late those nights and going to the beach. We weren't allowed to go to the beach, and we weren't allowed to stay all night, and the entire team did. We've heard about the Hawaii trip. Yeah, the extracurriculars, as, as Todd Brown said, which was a great story. Yes, and, and against that that Hawaii team, we were lucky to get a win out of there because they were they were loaded. They had, they had a big arm. Mike Campbell pitched for the Mariners. And a bunch of really good bats. Chucky Jackson played in the big leagues, the Mariners, and just a, they were a very good team. So they were in our regional. Washington State was in our regional, but we we swept right through them. And um, so I mean, it was we were on fire too. I mean, they weren't. They were very good baseball teams. We were just a, a step above. We were loaded, and it was at home. And our goal was to get to Omaha. So I mean, it just it was really. Um, not a lot of, I wouldn't say competition, but we, we handled them pretty easily. Well, you, you get to Omaha and then what are your thoughts when you get there? You know, is it like finally, or is it like, you know, we're, we're super pumped to be playing these great teams or what's kind of your thought when we get there? Yeah. So when you get to Omaha, uh, it, again, I would say we were kind of like the darlings of the media we were, we had been ranked number one. I think that entire season, except for maybe one week, we were, you know, right up there. We had played a tremendous schedule. Like I said, we had played Oklahoma State. Uh, Coach Brock last second got North Carolina to come in. They're ranked like third. That's when they had B.J. Surhoff and Bankhead, Walt Weiss. Um, and then our Pac-12 schedule, our Pac-10 schedule was loaded. Um, 
So we'd, we'd been ranked number one almost all year. So there was a lot of media. We were the heavy favorites and it was just awesome. I mean, you were treated like royalty there. And, um, and again, so I, Rosenplatt was awesome. You know, I haven't even been to the new stadium. I work for the Royals. I've been to Omaha a zillion times. I haven't been to the new stadium. Like it's, it's kind of kills me that, 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 Rosenblatt Stadium just had a romance to it and the fans were right on you. Um, we played Oklahoma State one game. It was after the Miami game and that Oklahoma State game, they ended up roping off left and right field um, te- foul territory so they could let fans in. It was over. It was overflow crowd. So that we actually had fans on the field roped off during the game. And we just we just smoked them. I think it was twenty three to twelve, something like that. And that um, again, that that Oklahoma State team we swept in that year. And you had Mike Henneman and Mike, uh, John Farrell, and um, I think they had eight big leaguers on that team. Uh, they were they were loaded. And Henneman and Farrell, I think Farrell started that game, and Henneman came in after him. We just we just crushed them. And that's. That's when Odeby hit the ball in the zoo, hit a giraffe in the neck or something, and um, we just we just demoralized them that year. And again, that was that team was good enough to win the College World Series about any year. But uh, again, we fell short to Cal State Fullerton, which was rough for me because a lot of those guys on the team were my teammates from Cerritos College. Some of the coaches were my coaches from Cerritos College, so that was a, that was a loss, uh, a tough loss. They were a great team. They were a very well-coached, well-oiled team, and it just, you know, things just didn't work out for us. We had some injuries. I had blown out my ankle. Doug Henry, our pitching was a little short. Kendall was, you know, dealing with the shoulder, and and, and Doug Henry came up with a sore back during the series, so our pitching really kind of that's, – that's kind of what derailed us a little bit towards the end. Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was tough. We were – in my opinion, and I and I think it's valid because I'm a scout now. I've done it for 20-something years. We were easily the most talented team in college baseball that year. We just we just didn't do it. And when I say the most talented, there's guys on our team that year that were worthy to play in the big leagues, but for whatever reason, whether it be injuries, Todd Brown, Dave Graybill, um, they didn't get to the big leagues because of injury. But these guys were supremely talented players. Dave Graybill was an amazing athlete. Um, almost made the USA Olympic team, but he, he ended up getting an arm problem. Todd Brown should have played a long time in the big leagues, but he had some injuries and uh, stuff. So, I mean, it was it was really sad, sad ending to that year. But at the same time, it was it was a cool brotherhood. It's funny you say that because, you know, I know, Jake, I'm sure you feel the same way about the 2009-2010 teams where we were easily the most talented team in college baseball and just for whatever reason couldn't get it done when we got to Rosenblatt. Yeah, I mean, that's that's baseball. How many how many years in the College World Series is a team that wins it, you know, some no-name team that just comes out of nowhere and just plays super, super good. But, I mean, that 2009, we had amazing, amazing starting pitching, and we ended up having, I think, five or six guys in that team that played in the big leagues. And then 2010, we were ranked number one pretty much the whole year, kind of similar to your 84 team that you talked about. 
but for whatever reason, man, we, and we cruised through the regionals, we cruised through the supers and then we had some really bad luck. We, we had a game that got scrapped and then we had to play early in the next, the next day and we lost that game and then kind of put a lot of guys on their heels and it just, you know, for whatever reason, talent wise, we were, we were probably the best team, you know, talent wise, but that's just, you know, that's how baseball rolls, which is, no doubt. you know, crazy. And then a team like Fresno state can sneak out of nowhere and win the world series, world series. And, you know, so yeah, that it's hard be- because I'm, I'm with you, Louie. I think that, you know, ASU has had some really, really talented teams, even that 11 team and, and 12 team. I mean, it's just some studs, great starting pitching, great offense, but for whatever reason, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you don't get it done. So yeah, that, that 84 team was stupid, stupid loaded. So it, it is interesting. Did you have anybody from the Cal State Fullerton team that kind of gave it to you afterwards when, when they won the, the whole thing and you guys, you know, did? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, absolutely. So Jose Moda, who's now a, a TV announcer with the Angels, his dad was Manny Moda, famous player with the Dodgers, was my roommate in AAA one year. Um, so, so I heard from him, Tom Thomas, uh, was my JC teammate. He's now scouts with um, the Oakland A's, and I see him a ton. And yeah, he gives it to me, and yeah, all those guys. But it, it was a good team. I mean, the, we lost a very good team. I, they right. weren't talented as us, but they were a very well coached. They knew their their roles. They were a small ball team. Um, they they laid down bunts. They, they just did everything right. So, I mean, and it all came together at the right time for them. It was did you a, guys play Fullerton at all during the regular season that year? We didn't. We didn't. No. Uh, that was a year. I wish we would have because it would have been good for us and just kind of right. see the trial and everything. But, um, no, uh, we didn't play them that year. It was just uh, it was that elimination game. And it, it was, I don't want to say a bad aura, but it, going into it, we had just kind of lost momentum and there was some injuries and stuff. And you just, we were ripe to lose that game and they were, and they were on a roll. Tell us about your reaction to the, to the zoo Homer by Odeby. I mean, it's famous. I know when I, when I first got to school, forget about working for the program. When I first showed up as a freshman at ASU, you know, you heard about the zoo home run by Odeby. So tell us your perspective from it. Where were you? What do you remember about it? And uh, what was the team's reaction after it happened yeah so honestly to be i mean it was it was a it was a complete bomb it disappeared into the night and everybody said it hit hit a draft in the zoo who knows what it did (laughs) but to be honest he had done so many amazing things that year that we weren't we weren't in awe it was just like it's odeby it's odeby we played u of a at u of a and i think it was like runners on second and third and they're going to walk him intentionally so, you know, the catcher's got his hands out and, and ball one, ball two, and he throws one outside and Odeby decides he's going to try to hit it. And he hooks it. It's way outside. And he's a left-handed hitter. And he hooks it and hits it off the top of the right field fence. And, and I've never seen anything like that. And, it's, you know, like I said, I've been scouting 26 years and I played 11 professionally. It was amazing. It was a it was an amazing year, but he had done so many amazing things that year that you, you just kind of expected it from him, especially in in a big game like in Omaha. It's amazing to talk to the '80s guys that played with Odeby and Barry, and there's not one person from that team that said, "Hey, Barry was better than Odeby." 
in 84. It was always Barry was good, but that was Oda B. Oda B was the guy that year. Oh, you know, now yeah. looking back, especially with what Barry's done in, in major league baseball to know that there was somebody better than him, you know, not even just in baseball, but on the same team. So I can't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure every day at practice even was, was just kind of one of those things, a showstopper at practice when Barry and Oda B were there. Yeah. Well, it's a tough one. Barry Oda B was the best player in college baseball easily. Barry was probably a second best player in college baseball. Yeah. You know, what Barry would – so Barry was – see how I put it. He wasn't as committed as Oda B. was as far as practice and stuff. Barry was a little more nonchalant. But when Barry turned it on, there was nobody like him either. I right. mean, Barry would hit balls in batting practice. We'd play inter-squads, um, and our inter-squads were sometimes better than our regular games because it was there were good guys on both teams. And Doug, I just never forget Doug Henry – you know, pitched, he pitched eight years in the big leagues. Another uh, amazing guy. You got to get on your show. This guy's throwing 94, 95 with what we call 80 life. It's just sinking. It's a snake. It's it's terrible. Barry would take him deep every inner squad game. <laughs> Tell him before the game he's going to take him deep. And, and I mean, and, you know, nobody did that to Doug. And it was amazing. So Barry, I mean, Barry was pretty amazing. I'll tell you another quick story about Barry. We were playing – we're at home, and I think it was a rain delay, and we're hitting – they had the uh, iron mic down the left field line at the old Packard, and you could turn that sucker up, you know, to throw whatever, as hard as it throws. You know, who knows what it was, but it was gas. And we all wanted to hit in it because at that – during that day, there were a bunch of ex-big leaguers there, uh, Kenny Phelps, and I can't remember them all, but they were there to watch the game. And so we're hitting in this cage, and they're all standing around. And we're taking our hacks trying to impress these guys. And Barry steps in that cage and he steps and he's just he's just crushing balls and they're all looking, you know, waving this. So he starts inching closer and closer. And next thing you know, he's about 30 feet from this machine that's throwing like 95 and just crushing it. I mean, he's not getting jammed. It's not, and you know, everybody's jaws drop. And you just knew he was special. Uh so. Yeah, we had the two best players in college baseball, most talented players, and Odeby was the strongest human being I'd ever to this day have met in my life, pound for pound. He he threw me around like a rag doll many a times. We're best friends, and I used to love to try to wrestle him. I don't know how much time you got, guys. I'll tell you a quick Odeby story on everybody knew he could wrestle, so everybody would challenge him, and he would just get guys. So we got into pro ball. And he's with the Texas Rangers, and Incavilla is on that team. And he he tries to get a piece of OB. Bam, he's on the ground in seconds. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Gary Ward. He was a big outfielder for the Texas. Strong man. He sneaks up behind OB. Bam, he's on the ground. Secondhand stories, I wasn't on that team, but you heard about him. OB would never tell you. Well, anyway, OB gets traded to Cleveland, and I'm, in, I'm, on, I'm with Cleveland. We're in the big leagues together. And Joe Carter, who was a big man on our club, He's, he wants a piece of Odeby. He's, 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 he's talking to Odeby. Oh, you know, let's do it. But he doesn't do anything. So one day he sneaks up behind Odeby. I'm standing right there. He puts his arm around Odeby's neck. And I kid you not, before you can say boo, Joe Carter is on the ground. And Odeby's got him what's called the guillotine. He can't move. 
It was it was amazing. This guy was so strong. He was an amazing wrestler, but he was he was a he was a, he was he was like a ninja turtle. Looked like he on his stomach. His stomach. He looked. He almost looked chubby with his t-shirt on because his his abs stuck out so far. He was so strong. This guy was amazing. And just top it off, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life. You talked earlier about the fan support that you guys got. So let's talk about Packard Stadium and what it was like to play there. Jake played there. I spent many a, a night working those games. What does Packard Stadium mean to you, and what did it mean as a Sun Devil player back then to go into Packard Stadium knowing you guys are coming in our house and you're going to find out what it's all about? Yeah, Randy, it was it was amazing. And, and it's, it, you know, I don't know what it is. It's been tough to duplicate or replicate over at Phoenix Muni, and hopefully one day they can. I think a lot of that comes with winning and and getting a championship maybe. Um, but when we played at ASU, it was the fans were right on top of you. They were, they were tough. They were tough on the other team. And usually, you know, not against SC or some of them schools, but most of the time it was over by batting practice because we were just, we put on a show and the other teams were just, they were defeated. But it's, it's funny as you ask me that question because I was at Dodger Stadium in the day scouting and there was a scout there from Tucson who had played in big leagues named Jim Olander, and, and he had brought up Rodney Pete. Had Rodney Pete played at USC, and, I, and apparently he was saying he was listening to an interview, but with, with Rodney Pete was talking about – they were asking Rodney Pete about the pressures of playing – being an NFL quarterback, and Rodney Pete told the interviewer, said, that's not pressure. He said, I had to play third base against Arizona State of Packard. So that was pressure. And I know what he means. Those, those guys that were behind our third base dugout – were relentless and if yeah. you messed up you were done the rest of the game you were done and uh, i thought that was a pretty cool story from a, an nfl quarterback talking about pressure yeah there's no doubt about that I, you bring up a really interesting point because playing at packard was so cool because the fans were just right there and they were they were on your side right yeah. but there was something about i'll never forget like how special a super regional at packard was and i got to play in two of them and, you know, you go out and it's, it's packed, right? There's people on the terrace. There's people all in the stands. There's people above the press box standing. There's people down the left field berm. There's people down the right field berm. And it's literally standing room only. I, I would be curious to see what Muni looks like at a super regional, you know, against a, maybe a Cal State Fullerton or an Oregon State or something like that because there really was nothing like Packard in, in at a super regional, just unbelievable and loud. And I can't imagine what it was like to be a, an opposing team. Thankfully I wasn't, but I mean, and we had gone to different places. I, I mean, I'm sure you traveled to, to really, really nice places that had good crowds. I remember even going up to Oregon state. I think they probably only had about 2,500, but it was loud and it was, they knew baseball really well. Randy and I went to Arkansas and, you know, that was like 8,000. That was just, you know, they were all over you. So, but for whatever reason, man, and we, you, you talk about Rosenblatt, it, it had that same feel to where it was almost like this place was constructed for one reason. And that was to hold special baseball games. And when you were there, even if you were, 
you know, getting your tails whooped, it was a special place. And that's, there's, there's no doubt about that because, you know, Rodney Pete talking about that in an interview when the guy played in the NFL against, you know, he, he, he played in front of a hundred thousand and, uh, you know, he still remembers Packard. So, I mean, you, you, you both know how it is. Yeah. It was, it's, I mean, it's just something you'll never forget, you know, walking out there and, you know, the lights, the fans, it was loud, no doubt about it. Um, it was beautifully kept. The the, uh, the grounds crew, Ed, was our grounds crew there, the guy, I can't remember his last name, getting old, but he, it was a, a source of pride for him. It was, it was beautiful. And it was on campus, which was kind of right. cool. Um, so it was, it was easy to get to, but um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, I hope Phoenix Muni can get to that again. I think winning take, will take care of a lot of it. And, and I know Tracy's doing his best and, and, and going off on a tangent here, but I really, really was bummed last year when they didn't get a chance to, to show because he did a tremendous job of bringing in some pretty amazing. We're going to see Spencer Torkelson in the big leagues for a long time. Gage and Trevor Hauer and Hover and, uh, and uh, that whole group was just amazing uh, of players. I think it, I think they got robbed of a chance to to show the country how good of a team that could be. Um, I think the pitching would have been sufficient, especially if the bats got hot. You know, I don't scout amateur baseball. I haven't done it in 12 some, something years, but I obviously I keep in track with ASU and, and watch that team. And I thought that team – at the right time, if they got hot, they they could have done a lot a lot of damage. It reminded me of the team with uh, with Brett Wallace and Ike and those type of guys that were just pretty amazing. They, they, right, they should have wanted to, you know. <laughs> Don't remind me that 2008 team that got beat by Fresno. I mean, that's one of my biggest professional regrets because we didn't even make it to Omaha. And if we had made it to Omaha, I have no doubt we would have won that whole thing. We I, had I, pitching; I, yeah. it was just bad bad timing and and some yeah. I mean, it's just baseball. But uh, yeah, again, as a fan of AC fan and also as a professional scout, that team I thought was was going to win it all. I was uh, again, just fate had it that Fresno State got hot and ended up winning the whole thing. But that I thought that was the best team. It was that was one of AC's best team in a long time. I thought it was a really loaded team. And uh, I listened to uh, Brett's interview the other day, and it was awesome. What a humble, nice guy and truly one of the best when you're talking about legends of Packer, really one of the best uh, hitters or legends. I mean, I think he won the triple crown twice. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Conference. That's just phenomenal. What, uh, amazing. And I, I had, I had the pleasure of scouting through, through the minor leagues and some in the big leagues too. It was, it was really cool. Uh, is there one memory of Packard stadium, be it a game, a practice, anything? Is there one thing when you close your eyes and you think of Packard, this is the first thing that pops into your head. Whew, I'll give you, yeah. Um, I think in the regional against Washington State, we were, I can't remember what the score was. We were up some, and I had a 3 0 count. And Jeff Pentland, who's our hitting coach, gave me the green light. And it was one of those times, the only time probably in my life, where I swung as hard as I possibly could and hit it as perfectly as I possibly could. And, and it, uh, it, it it cleared the green monster and uh, I just remember my teammates yelling, especially Jose Rodillas yelling, "Oh my God!" As I was jogging, we were in the first base dugout because it was, it was regional, so we had to use the other dugout. 
And then the trainer at uh, one of our uh, team managers actually had got the ball and he came back and told me that it hit a car. And uh, that was probably, it just sticks out because it was one of those weird swings, but I will, I'll give you another time. And this did not happen in Packard. One of my proudest moments ever was recently in Phoenix Muni and I got to throw out the first pitch, but I got to throw it out to my daughter, Chloe. Oh, that's cool. Who was a team manager at ASU baseball and now working for the Diamondbacks. And uh, that was a really probably as proud moment as I've ever had as a Sun Devil to do that. She caught it too. (laughs) And it was a strike, right? It was a strike. (laughs) So that was really cool. But um, ASU baseball runs in our family, in our blood now. Like I said, my daughter was team manager there and my son goes to school there. They're all, my daughter, I have a daughter that golfs at uh, Oklahoma City University. They're all massive ASU fans. And uh, the bond will never leave. I'll tell you guys, I played professionally here and in Japan. Everybody knows that I played at ASU. When I was in Japan, they always ask me about Arizona State. It's not just a brand in the United States. It's a worldwide brand when it comes to ASU baseball. It's amazing. I'll always carry that with me. It's part of my identity, something that I'm very proud of. And it's, it's pretty cool to be an ex-ASU baseball player. Yeah, it's the same with me, man. Even when I was I was playing ball, nobody nobody cared about anything other than talking about ASU and yeah. and Pat and Omaha, those kind of things. It's it's pretty cool. It's a really cool fraternity to be in. It is. It is. It's awesome. And uh, like I said, I, I really am appreciative of all the guys that went before us. When you like, you had Sal Bando on, and hopefully you guys can snag Rick Monday. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a legend, obviously, there. I think the first player ever taken a draft, and then he he scooped up that flag at Dodger Stadium. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, it's, yeah, I have the bobblehead doll of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, to me, he's just, and I see him at Dodger Stadium in the press room over the years. I don't really, we don't talk a whole lot because I get intimidated, but, I, you know, just to look at a guy, I'm so proud of a guy like that, played at ASU, and, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. You know, now guys are still in the big leagues, and Pedroia, Man, when you you know I, I saw him play obviously in college and then professionally as a as a pro guy, just to say he was a sun devil the way that guy played the way he put it on the field every day, man. There's, there's no other school that can match. I'm I'm biased guys and I and I love looking at guys that played in the big leagues from ASU. I can't know I don't know what the number is. I think we're up to like 110 or something like that. But but our 110 in the big leagues compared to the University of Texas, I think they're tied with us. We did it in 30 less years, I believe Correct. it is. Yep. Um, so I, you know, when they talk about all, we truly are MLBU, and uh, it, it's really cool to see stuff like that. And you know, it's 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 an amazing place to to say I played there. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on with us today. This was this was a lot of fun, and I love going down memory lane. And I, I hope uh, I hope for you, you were maybe transported back to 1984 for a few minutes, uh, going through some of those stories. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's it's truly special. Again, like I said, one one of the most special years of my entire life, 84. Um, Loved it. We'll never forget it and have lifelong friends from that team that I speak to all the time. So it was wonderful. And I thank you guys for what you do. This is truly amazing and it's wonderful for old guys like me, the newer guys, 
Um, you learn a lot about the history of ACU listening to this stuff. Um, I think it's good for some of the players that play later, maybe that to listen to some of this. I, you know, I love to hear Sal Bando talk again, like I said, and uh, yeah, I just look forward to hearing this more and more. And uh, I know some guys have mentioned doing a live podcast at some of the games at some point, and I think that'd be fantastic to get some of the guys. And there's some big names out there, guys. You got to get. Well, and I want to give a special thank you to Todd Brown because Todd is the one who helped connect us with you. So Todd gets an executive producer credit for this episode for, for, for connecting Louie with us. Yeah. Todd, love Todd. He's a brother. He's awesome. Love him. Thank you guys so much. Again, thank you for, for spending some time with us. And uh, we love talking to ASU baseball. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, you, you were a name that everybody who, who played in those teams kept bringing up. You were a glue guy and uh, you were a glue guy for us. So, Again, thank you for, for taking the time out and joining the Legends of Packer podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Jake, great to catch up with Louie. Uh, some great stories and a baseball man. I mean, he, he has been front office. He's in his 21st season with the Kansas City Royals, scattered with the D-backs for five. You heard him say, you know, 11 years playing uh, in professional baseball. He played in Japan. So he's been a baseball lifer and he's seen a little bit of everything and Man, he had some some great things to share with us. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when he's talking about, you know, baseball, a lot of these guys that played, or I should say just play in ASU, you you could be a baseball lifer. You come to ASU, you fall in love with baseball, and um, he's had a great career, obviously had a great career after ASU, but was cool chatting about that, uh, you know, the 84 team. It, it's interesting, the 85 team, you know, the expectations that they had coming into that year and obviously, you know, coming up short, but... Uh, the 84 team that he was a part of with some of those names and hearing some of those stories and obviously hearing about coach Brock, uh, you know, just, I guess, do you call it a typical eighties team guy? Is that what we're kind of saying now with these amazing stories and some of the stats? I think it's interesting, you know, anybody who hits 17 home runs in a season, you know, and is still kind of like middle of the pack era on, on that, uh, that team, it's, it's, you know, pretty impressive if that's, if that's the stat line you're putting up and no one really talks about you, like they talk about Barry or they talk about Oda B or, uh, you know, some of those names, but, uh, awesome to have Louie on what a great sun devil. And it's, it's cool to see him still around baseball after his time at ASU. Three thirty nine career hitter over two seasons with the devils, 27 career homers, 95 career RBI. He stole 10 bases, uh, 30 doubles. He had a lot of extra base hits, six triples, he had 92 hits in 1984, hit 318 that year. And as you mentioned, kind of the forgotten guy because of all those names that were on that lineup. But we, we talked about this with the in the interview. His name's always kind of mentioned by, by the guys who played with him about being how oh, well, Louis was so great and we loved Louis. So he was, I, I, I compared him to Raul Torres early on in that he was kind of everybody's favorite teammate. It kind of seems like, and I can see why he came across that way with us. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you made a great comparison to someone like Raul Torres and, you know, Louie was a guy that you, you say that they're forgotten, but I get, I guarantee if you ask everyone from the 2000 and what is that? Seven to 2010 teams, you know, no one's going to leave out Raul, just like nobody from the, you know, the, the early eighties teams leaves out a guy like Louie Medina. Um, you know, the glue to the team, someone who put up impressive numbers, similar to how Raul did, but probably had, you know, a bigger impact, you know, on the day-to-day part where, you know, trying to keep guys, keep guys motivated, keep guys in line. He was a mature guy, came from, you know, Cerritos College out in California, stepped in, won a job, 
you know, at first base and was, you know, keeping par with some of these, these big names, you know, Barry Bonds, you know, Devereaux and ODB McDowell and, and all these guys, Don Wakamatsu, some of these big name baseball guys that, you know, he was right there with Todd Brown, you know, he talked about Todd Brown mashing baseballs. And, and uh, so, yeah, cool to hear from Louie, man. It's, 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 uh, it's fun to chat with some of these guys from these, these amazing amazingly talented teams unfortunately that want that didn't win calls world series it makes me feel a little bit better about uh my time at asu knowing that we probably had you know the most talented team in the country but sometimes that's just not how the baseball cookie crumbles that 84 team it's almost like uh yeah there's those five national championship teams but that 84 team's like a an asterisk national championship team like well we didn't win the national championship but maybe the most popular team in, in asu baseball history it seems like Oh yeah. You, I, I couldn't imagine what it was like in Omaha, you know, the media probably going crazy with these guys when you've got, you know, the two, the two top players in college baseball and O and Barry, and then you have about five or six dudes that end up having great careers in the big leagues. And, you know, they're kind of the, the sexy team, the, the most appealing team to talk to ranked number one, the whole year, these big boppers that come in. Then you got a guy like coach Brock, who's kind of leading the pack. It's cool to relive and, and kind of hear some of the stories that those guys went through knowing that even though I played, you know, 25, 30 years later after these guys, it's really the same story. It's the same baseball story that was at ASU. when we were there, we all, we both played at Packard. We both ran through super regionals. We played against some amazing competition that were, that was on the West coast and ultimately made it to the college world series and, and, you know, gave it some good runs, but, but had a good time doing it. So it was, like I said, man, it's, it's so fun to chat with these guys and, and hear these guys talk about their teammates, hear these guys talk about their stories and we're looking at them right And there. Some of these guys are, you know, late forties and fifties and even sixties. And, and they're telling stories about when they were teenagers and it's just cool to hear them reminisce about their, their even just one or two years at ASU. And Louie was one of those guys, right? He, he played at Cerritos and, you know, maybe he feels the same way about Cerritos, but I, I don't think that he does just kind of hearing him talk about it. I think that, you know, when you talk about his, his uh, maybe amateur baseball career, the ASU was, was his, uh, his favorite part of, of amateur baseball. I think Louie made a, a great point that, you know, we, we don't talk about the fans enough and, and really no. the fans are what, are what made playing there so special. And even going to Muni, I saw some faces that I remember seeing 15 years ago at games. And it's just like, man, I, I mean, you know, we, sh- we kind of share this moment where it's like five miles down the road or two miles down the road, whatever it is at Packard, there were some amazing memories and some crazy baseball times, you know, that, uh, that we all shared together. And it's just, it's so cool to, to, to reminisce and go down memory lane. And you and I, we do this, we do this on a video and we get to see most of these players and their eyes just light up when they talk about their teammates. It's just this, this baseball bond that we share from ASU, man, it's, it's, you just feel so grateful for it. And so special to be a part of it. When we interview these guys, I'd never met Sal Bando before. I'd never met Louis Medina before. We'd never met Todd Brown before. The only connection we had was ASU baseball. And yet we're having these conversations with them like we're old buddies because we're all a part of that fraternity. And that's what I appreciate so much not being a former player is that nobody looks at me any differently because I was just the SID. They know that I was there every day, just like you were. And that connection, look, these guys who don't, they don't know us from Adam. So they don't have to give us the time of day. They don't have to respond to anyone. We didn't know Odubi McDowell. 
I reached out and Odeby came on with us and was great. Same with Bob Horner, all these guys. So it's that ASU baseball brotherhood. And it, it's, it's so important that we, we keep that legacy going and that's why we do this. And I, it's, it's awesome to be a part of. It's so cool to, you know, to be a part of the group and, and to talk with these guys, you, you, you made a tremendous point. Like, I feel like I could, I, I'm in, I'm in Texas. I could call Bob Horner and say, Hey, let's go have lunch. And he would do it in a second. Right. Like these are guys that I've never met in, in person before, but yet we share this bond together that, that bonds us. And, and we have something in common that is, that is super special. And so, yeah, with Louie, it was no different. I really appreciate the, you know, the, the guys who played under Brock, We'll tell stories, not necessarily when we're, when we're still on the air, they'll, they'll tell us some stories about things that coach Brock did. And I'm just chuckling to myself because it's the exact same thing that coach Murphy did. But I feel like Brock and that, you know, that early eighties team and Murph in the, the oh maybe five to, to 11, maybe before that, I don't know, but that's kind of when I was running the program, those teams, especially like that oh eight team was just really very similar in how, you know, with talent, with the coach, with the way that they were coached. And, and um, it, it's really cool to, to see those, those similarities. Our thanks to our guest, Louie Medina, and again, executive producer credit to Todd Brown for uh, helping connect us with Louie and uh, Todd, Todd's booking guests for us. I give Todd a lot of credit because he's done a Todd's great a man. job. We're going to have to put him on salary here pretty soon. Yeah, exactly right. So thank you to Louie Medina. For Jake Borup, I'm Randy Policar. This is the Legends of Packard podcast. And honey, I just want to be back in your arms again. Follow the Legends of Packard podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Packard Legends. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Legends of Packard. The Legends of Packard podcast is a Paula Truck Media production and is not affiliated with Arizona State University.